Well, good morning. Certainly an honor to be here with you and to worship with you this morning. We began a meeting here at Amarillo Church of Christ and uh, been so anxious for this. And I want to tell you that I'm humbled and that I'm honored that I could have this opportunity to work with you this week. I appreciate so much the amount of confidence that the elders have placed in me that we might do this work and stay true to God's Word. I want to tell you, too, this morning that uh, how I appreciate each person here. The fact that I know that why you're here, you're here because you love the church. Robin and I were talking last night in our motel room. I think it's been maybe 15, 16 years since we've missed a brotherhood meeting. And if the Lord wills, uh, we plan to continue that tradition of us coming and worshiping with you and uh, sharing a weekend with you. I know that you love the church, and I know that your dedication brought you here this weekend. And the things that you have learned you can take back to your church, your congregation, that you can place them in, in force, and that we can continue to grow, and that we can be more pleasing to God. And I'm just honored to stand before you this morning and study with you from God's holy word. And I'm hoping that the things that we study will be a benefit to you. And if you have a need this morning, I want to first say that I want you to understand that you can come forward without fear or trepidation. Because the brethren here, we love you. And we're concerned about your soul and we're concerned about our own soul. And you can come at the appointed time and take a seat and there'll be plenty of brethren here that would be willing to help you in any way that we can. I told Craig that uh, the, the week, this, this week, I'm hoping that we can outdo this number and that we can get a little bit better crowd than this over at the building. He said, it might be tough. I said, you mean to tell me that we're peaking on the first service? I can't believe it. Maybe we'll peak not in number, but maybe in our uh, enthusiasm to serve the Lord. Think about this for a moment, if you will. The Ancient of Days, the God of Wonders, the God of the creation, saw you, and he saw me, long before the foundation of the world was ever laid. And he had a plan for you. He loved us before we were ever born. He cared for our soul long before he breathed even into the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam and Eve. And he sees us today and he still has a plan for us. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, and without blame before him in love. God's plan for you and for me is that we can be holy in him. That we can be presented to him as a church, pure as a bride. That we can be without blame before him in love. Think about this passage, Romans eight twenty nine, and the verse prior to it. Where Paul says, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 says, for whom he did foreknow, 
He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, this verse has been confusing for a lot of people over the years because they haven't understood that what God did is that he saw you and he saw me, and then he predetermined what he would do, that you and I might be like his son, Jesus Christ. The predestination was his predetermining what his actions would be. Think about it this way. Many roads, many paths in life that you can choose. Because God made Adam a free moral agent, when he created him, there were paths that he could choose. There were two paths. He could choose, he and Eve, the path of obedience. Or he could choose the path of disobedience. God saw the end of both of these paths. Therefore, predetermining what he would do that you and I might be saved and God gave his only son that you and I might be saved as a sacrifice for us. God's plan is that you and I might be like Jesus. Our need is this, is that all we, like sheep, have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. That's the problem. Whether you like to admit it or not, it's not a matter of what type of sin you, uh, you commit. It's not a matter of whether or not you're a sinner. It's a matter of what type of sinner you are. And what you've committed, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have a great need. Our need is to be like Jesus. However, our sin separates us from God, and all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Our God is a God of order. And though he had a plan, and because he had a plan, he had a plan of order. Why, we can look at the universe as it is created today and see all the order that God has instilled in this universe. We can see all of the planning that our loving God has made. He is a God of order, whether it is building of the ark, capturing of a city, or the transportation of the ark of the covenant. God was a God of order, and he is a God of order in your life and my life. And he has a plan for our life, and this plan instills and involves an order that must be taken. God has given us a pattern for our life. Think about this passage and the order of, that God has given us and that he is a God of order. God has given us a pattern for our life. In Colossians 3, verse 17, the Scripture says there, Whatsoever you do, do in the word, of, or indeed, do all in the name of the Lord. Now that is whatsoever you do. It doesn't matter what you do, whatsoever you do. You and I need to be operating in our life according to the God's pattern and the fact that this is a universal text. Whether I am digging a ditch or whether I am a rocket scientist, it doesn't matter. I need to be doing it according to the pattern of God. I was told a long time ago when I was first started preaching and I, was, I had such a zeal and enthusiasm for the work that I wanted to, I wanted to preach and I wanted to do these things uh, for, the, for, for the Lord. And I had an older preacher tell me, he said, Mark, you can serve the Lord digging a ditch. And I think that was some of the greatest advice that I have ever been given. Because whether or not I'm working in a factory, whether or not I am working in an office, whether or not I am preaching the gospel, I can be working for the Lord. If I take this passage and I understand that God is a God of order and that he has a pattern for our life 
And whatever I do, no matter what it is, I do it according to the authority of God. It applies to all of our actions. So therefore, our need is this, is we have built a life, many of us, devoid of God's pattern and God's order. Now, when we build our lives devoid of God's authority and pattern, our building, our life, becomes deformed. Now, I would propose to you today, brethren, that our pattern for our life is found in God's Word. The definition of a pattern is a form or model proposed for imitation. God has given us His Word, and in this Word, there are many patterns or an order that is given that you and I might imitate, that we might become more like Christ and that we might fulfill his initial plan. Romans 15 and 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So this morning, we want to look at a pattern a pattern that is given to us uh, in 2 Chronicles 34 of Josiah the boy king and a pattern for restoration. Alcoholics Anonymous is a group that uh, has been very successful in helping people with uh, addictions. And I've read some of their material and I've been around people that uh, have been involved in their program and they have what is called a 12-step program that you may, be, may have heard of. This 12-step program involves a process, if you will, of becoming free of addiction, and they claim that if you work this plan, then they have a great success rate. Well, if our God is a God of order and he has a pattern for our life, then there are many processes that, in the Bible that is given to us. There's a process of salvation. There's a process of restoration. Our need, many of us this morning, is restoration. That we might fall back into the original plan of God, of being like Christ, that we might live holy, acceptable unto him. That we might be more like him and that we might serve him every day in our life. So this morning, I want us to look for a few moments at Josiah the boy king and the pattern of restoration that is given. Now, verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 34, if you'd like to take your Bible and follow along, we're not going to read all of these passages, but we will be referring to each verse or several verses in our uh, commentary this morning on Josiah the boy king. In verse 1, we find that Josiah came to the kingship at the age of eight years old. I... Uh, most of you think, uh, know, I guess, that who the youngest president of the United States was. Do you know? You said, John F. Kennedy, you're wrong. <laughs> Most people will say John F. Kennedy. Uh, that's, that's not true. He was the youngest elected president at 43. But uh, Teddy Roosevelt actually was appointed president at 42 following an assassination. Now, I say that because we look at our office of the United States and we think about a 43-year-old man or a 42-year-old man leading our office and leading our government. And uh, to be frank with you, I don't know if it'd make any difference uh, whether he's 80 or he's 40 right now. 
but 40 years old to lead our country would be a monumental task by anybody's account. And I want every young person to think this morning that God has chosen Josiah the boy king, eight years old, and gave him the authority to lead Israel. Now that in itself is amazing. And I want every young person here to understand that God's Word is inspired and you and I just could not make this stuff up. (laughs) We just couldn't. Who would have an eight-year-old boy leading uh, the nation of Israel? But every young person, your value is, well, we just can't measure it. You, You are so valuable to the kingdom of God. You have such a place in the kingdom of God. Josiah was appointed by God and to lead his people at the age of eight years old. At uh, 16 years old, Josiah did something that I want to encourage every person here this morning to think about for a moment. He began to seek after the God of his father at 16 years old. Now, Josiah came into this kingship with some handicaps, obviously. One of them was a lack of experience. At eight years old, you could not think that he had a great deal of experience. But he did have something that he could fall back on. Verse 3 says, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of his father. I want to tell you something this morning. For every person here, one thing that you and I desperately need to do is practice remembering. Construct the memories of your past. I believe that who I'm talking to this morning, for the most part, you have such a heritage in your life. You know, I've talked to people this weekend, and I've talked to people over the years that are members of the Lord's Church, and they remember their fathers. They remember their grandfathers. You and I have such a heritage a biblical instruction. Now, Josiah, all he had was the fact that he could remember the father, David, and he could remember David's zeal to serve God. I tell people that I may talk too much about my dad. Mom, my, my dad died in 1992, he died suddenly. He was an elder in the church. Now, I've been to several singing schools, and you would never know that, Ty and Leland. But I've, I've sat through Ty's, I've sat through Leland's, and now I've sat through, uh, and I say sat through, not uh, <laughs> denigrating at all. I've enjoyed every one of them. And now I've sat through Timothy's. <laughs> but you know, my first singing school was in a field where my dad farmed. And while we were working side by side, he would teach me the shape notes. And he would teach me how to sing the the scale. Now, I've never gotten good at it, and I never could teach a singing school. Not for a moment. I don't have enough rhythm. (laughs) But I have those memories to think about, and I have the memories of memorization of Scripture that my dad taught me. 
Now, I'm talking to people this morning that have some of the similar memories of your folks and somebody in your life loved you so much that they were willing to share the gospel with you. And I'm asking you this morning to remember these things in your life because in remembering these things, no restoration can ever take place except you remember. 2 Timothy 1 and 5 says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul talking to this young evangelist Timothy, and he says, I want you to remember, Timothy, remember your mother and your grandmother. And you stir up this faith that's in you because they gave it to you and they taught it to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Therefore, Timothy, because you've heard it, you stir up this faith and this gift that is within you. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing this morning. We remember our past. We remember those who taught us and loved us. The story of the prodigal son shows a young man who walked away from his father and then found himself in the pig pen of life but the scripture teaches something that happened to him in verses 17 and 18 of Luke 15 and when he came to himself now the opposite of coming to yourself is being beside yourself so if he was beside himself then he had a form of insanity and sin is a form of insanity and insanity causes you to forget when he came to himself, he remembered. He's in the pig pen. He's in the pig pen of life. Somebody says, where's that pig pen at? Well, I'll tell you, the pig pen can be in Washington, D.C. as a senator or a congressman, or it can be on Skid Row. Any place that is away from God is a pig pen. Any place. So the prodigal said, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. The prodigal remembered. So I'm asking you this morning to do something that Josiah did. Remember your past. Remember those who taught you, those who loved you, those who cared about your soul. Remember some of the things that they said. There's not a day that goes by in my life that I don't remember something that my mother or my daddy said to me. Both of them have been gone for some time now, but I value that memory and I, and I work at recalling these things because they calibrate me. They keep me in touch. Such was the case with Josiah. At 20 years old, Josiah began to purge the high places, the Scripture says. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves, and he carved images in the molten images. The high places, for those of you who might not be familiar with that term, the high places were simply this. They were places of idolatry. They were places, the altars that had been built to sacrifice and to pray and to serve idols. Josiah, seeking the God of his father and remembering his past, began to purge these high places. 
The scripture goes into great detail in 2 Chronicles 34 of exactly what happened, and he crushes these high places. He grinds them to powder. He goes to great lengths to get rid of this idolatry that is in Jerusalem. Now, if restoration is ever going to take place in your life or in the church, then a purging of our idols has to take place. Idolatry is something that we don't think about a whole lot, I don't believe, outside of uh, our lessons such as this and our meditations. We understand there's idolatry that takes place in the world. Uh, Van Miller talks about uh, the idolatry that is in India. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the evangelist from India that I have been able to speak with, they talk about India as being a nation of idolatry. And idolatry is so prevalent there, it's real obvious and it's real easily seen for you and me. And I've even been to some Asian countries that I've seen that. I was in Japan and I saw idolatry in Japan and they're a 21st century country. They're, they're certainly uh, not lacking in any, any of the things that you and I lack, but their idolatry is there. But I want to tell you, idolatry is here too and perhaps there's idolatry in your life. Why, idolatry can be anything that allows you to pay service to above God. There's a fellow back home that's a member of the church, and he told me that before he became a member of the church and before he came back to the church, he said, you know, he said on Sunday morning, he said, the only thing that I could think about was NFL football. He said, my whole day revolved around getting ready for NFL football. Now, there's nothing wrong with football. That's not a sin in itself. There's nothing intrinsically sinful about football. But when it takes precedence in your life and you start serving that, but you know, I can do that with a job. I can do that with my family. Jesus teaches us that uh, we can't even put our family before him. Many folks, and Israel certainly was an example to us of a nation that fell away from serving God because they had built so many idols in their life. And if you're going to be restored to the plan that God has for you, then the purging of idols in your life must take place. Matthew 6 and 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There are no more miserable people in this world than the man who has one foot in heaven and one foot in the world you are miserable because you are torn between two gods and in being torn between two gods you cannot serve both the restoration of Josiah and his example shows us that we must purge the idols in our life Joshua 24 16 when addressing this issue with Israel and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. You know, I want to say that to you this morning, and, I, and I'm saying it to myself. God forbid that you and I should forsake the one true living God to serve something else that is temporary. God forbid. We must purge the idols in our life. At 26 years of age, 
uh, we find Josiah involved in the restoration of the house of God. Now, this restoration of the house of God involved construction and rebuilding the temple. Verse 10 says, And they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. Josiah went and got many craftsmen of all types and all, all natures. And Josiah said, let's fix this thing. This is torn down and it's in disarray. Let's rebuild this house of God. I believe that you and I, in our involvement in restoration of our life, should not only be concerned with purging the idols in our life, but building our life and being involved in constructing and building good things in our life. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So I want to ask you this morning, what house are you building? Are you building a house on a rock or are you building a house on the sand? As we purge the idols in our life, let's lay the foundation, let's build upon the good foundation of Jesus Christ and let's build our life on him. We're building, we're building something, let's build on the rock of God. 1 Corinthians 3 and 10 says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon as you go home to your congregation as we continue to work let's be wise as to what we're building God has a pattern for us God has a will for us that we might be like him let's be wise as to what we're building and how we're building While they were reconstructing this house and they were rebuilding and restoring, something happened. And I find this one of the most uh, intriguing things that happened in the restoration of Israel with Josiah. You've got to wonder how it happened, but it did. The book of the law was found. Second Chronicles 34, 15 says, And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Wow. Wow. The law had been lost. God's word had been lost. And you know where it had been lost? in the church building <laughs> now I would you and I find that we could find that so humorous if it were not so real today well look around you you know I had a fellow tell me and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to uh, uh, be ugly or anything but I, I could not believe this it was just very difficult for me to believe it from from where we are positioning ourselves and what we're trying to do and how we're trying to live as a, as a congregation. But he told me, he said, where I go to church, he said, I've never heard the Bible read. Never heard it. Well, the book's lost. <laughs> Find the book. 
Find the book. God has a pattern for us, but the pattern is found in the book. But you know, we look at that as a congregation. You know, when we come to church, and I know this is the case wherever you go and wherever you attend, you go home and, and you're going to have Bible reading, you're going to have a sermon uh, out, of the, out of the Word of God. What about when you go home? Now, I'm probably talking to people, and I certainly hope that I am, that, that you have Bible study and that you, you are involved in it, but a lot of people simply don't. They've lost the book. They've lost the book in their home and in their life. They've lost the book. So we look at this example that Israel had of their being carried away into idolatry, and we see why. Well, they lost the book. And the book was lost in the church. Brethren, we have a standard. You know, standards exist throughout the whole world. And we accept the standard. Where I work in my secular job, they have a thing called working standards. And, I'll, I, and I would say that many of you understand that. And you, you, you relate to it because it's probably the case where you work. Even if you're self-employed, you have standards that you have implemented. We have a standard to live by. The standard is given to us in God's Word. Psalms 119, 133 says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Order my steps in thy word. Jeremiah puts it this way. He said that it is not within a man that liveth to direct his own steps. You can't do it any more than a car can drive itself. Except I have a standard to live by, then my building goes awry. My building becomes deformed. While the architect, he creates a blueprint. So that you might have a standard to build the house by. The map maker, he draws a map so that you and I might not be lost. God has given us a standard so that you and I might know how to live. So that we might know how to conduct our church services. So that you and I might know how to behave and to conduct ourselves in the house of God. I have a uh, suspicion that the reason why there are so many divisions in the world today when it comes to religious uh, offerings is the fact that we have a disagreement on the standard and what the standard is. We need to accept the standard, accept the standard of God. Proverbs 16 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. What is directing your steps and how are we living? Are we living according to the standard? Let me give you uh, an example of what I'm talking about, of how people live. Let's, let's take this table here for example. Suppose I ask you how long it is. I look at that thing and you know, uh, I've got an idea of, of what I think it is. It looks to be about 10 feet long to me. I don't know if it's that long or not, but it look, maybe 8 feet, 8, 10 feet long. Let's say 10 feet I'll, I'll go with 10 feet. What do you go with? So, well, Mark, I believe it's 9 feet. 
And I'll say, I believe it's 10 feet. And I'm going to stick with 10 feet no matter what. I don't care how upset you get. I'm sticking with 10 feet because, well, that's just what I believe. He said, well, I believe it's 9 feet. You know, a lot of people address how we are to live that way. Well, I believe this. I think that. Well, you know, same-sex marriage, well, that should be accepted. Why? Because I want it. Abortion should be accepted. Why? Because I want it. That's the way people live. But you know, if, I, if we take this table and I pull out a tape measure and I lay it down across the table and I find that it's 10 feet and 3 sixteenths of an inch, you're going to look at it and say, okay, let me see the, let me see the tape. You're, that's right. That's what it says. We were both wrong. It's a little over 10 feet. And all arguments are settled when we accept the standard. You and I have a standard to live by. When God tells us that something is sinful, let's accept that standard. When God tells us that we need to be conducting our life in a, in a way, let's accept that standard. Let's live by that standard. Josiah found the book of the law in the house of God, the standard by which to restore Israel and to conduct himself. And the first thing that Josiah did is that he repented Wow. Now, everything looked really good to me up to this point in Josiah's story. At eight years old, we see that him taking on a task, and then at 16 years old, we see that uh, he's trying to follow after the, the God of his father. That's great. And I encourage you to do that. And then he starts purging his idols. That's wonderful. Do that. And then the restoration of the house and building it. But when he finds the standard, and the standard is red, then Josiah understands something. And it came to pass that when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. Verse, verse 21 of Second Chronicles 34 says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. Josiah understood something. Though he had made an effort in his life and made an effort in Israel, it could not be complete except he followed the standard. And Josiah rent his clothes and he repented and he said, we've been wrong. I've been wrong. I've made a good effort, but I've been wrong, and he repents. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. My friends, we have a need. Our need is the restoration and our fellowship with God. When we read in God's standard, in God's pattern for our life, and we find that we have, been, we have gone amiss, 
and that we followed after our own way and we haven't followed after God's way. We need to humble ourselves. We need to repent. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Josiah understood that restoration had to be continued through repentance. You can start trying to clean up your life all that you would like. You can remember all of the heritages that you, all the heritage that you have of your father and your mother and your uncle or grandfather. You can remember all those things, but until you come and you look at your own life and you look and see where you are in your fellowship with Christ, and when you see that you have gone amiss, humble yourself. Repent. Josiah, when the words were read to him and he saw this need for repentance, he saw a need of something else that took place. According to the scripture, the words of the book of the covenant were read to all the people. Josiah seems to say, let me, let me show you what I found. It's going to change your life. Let me show you what I found. And we've been doing it all wrong. We haven't been living right. And I want to share with you what I have found. Verse 30 says, And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. You and I need a dedication to the pattern. Not only do we need to accept the pattern, we need to dedicate our life to the pattern. In dedicating our life to the pattern of God and living uh, according to that pattern, we share it with other people. The apostle, uh, John said this in, in writing of Jesus' interaction with his apostles and many of them left and walked away when he revealed to them that they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Then Jesus said, Jesus uh, said unto them, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you going to go? But to Jesus. He has the standard by which to live. He has the plan of restoration for you. Where would you go? 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul tells Timothy, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, completely. Give yourself to this plan of God for you in your life. That thy profiting may appear to all. We see that take place in Josiah. We see him have a life of repentance and his restoration becoming more and more complete when he sees, when we see him giving himself wholly to the things that he had found, sharing it with other people, dedicating himself to the pattern. It was so aptly said over the weekend of our confession of our faith 
Our confession of faith is made when we obey the gospel, but our confession of faith is made every day. And it must be made every day in our life of however we live or what we say and how we conduct our life. But we can't make that confession except we dedicate ourselves to it and give ourselves wholly to it. So I'm calling you this morning by the Word of God to come and to dedicate yourself wholly to the Word of God and to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Finally, the restoration was made complete in Josiah's time and service when he was still a young man. The remaining abominations were taken away. When Josiah found the book, and he dedicated himself to the pattern of God. Then he removed the remaining abominations in Israel and the remaining high places. Second Chronicles 35, verses 1 and 2 says, Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priest in their charges and encouraged them to be uh, to the service of the house of the Lord. Verse 7 says, And Josiah gave to the people of the flock lambs and kids and all the Passover offerings for all that were present to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bullocks. These were of the king's substance. Do you see the dedication that Josiah has made in his personal life to the restoration of Israel to follow the pattern of God? Not only is he doing it verbally, Not only is he doing it by causing the book to be read to all the people, but now he is giving up his substance that the sacrifice of God to God might be made and this Passover might be be accomplished. And we see the restoration complete. The Scripture says in verses 18 and 19 of 2 Chronicles 35, And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. God calls us to restoration to him. I believe as a body... And that's what we are about. That's what I'm about. I don't want to be just a member of a church. I want to be a member of the church. I want to be a member of God's body. I don't want to be just a part of another religious organization. I want to be a part of the group that wants to follow the pattern of God. I want to, in my life, I want to be restored to a fellowship that God would have me to be where I can boldly enter into the holy place by the blood of the covenant. That I might approach the throne of grace with confidence because I have come to the one who restores. Who restores broken lives. Who restores lives who have been broken by sin. But the steps of restoration must take place. Repentance of tearing down your idols, of accepting the standard by which you would live by.
by being willing to share this with other people. God calls us to leave this building and to go into a mission field of life and to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Now, many people will reject this because they reject the standard and they reject the king. You and I are to be restored for the master's use. It's difficult to be of use when you're broken. It's difficult to be of use when you are hampered by sin in your life. It's so difficult. I mean, the things that you would like to talk to people about, you just can't. Because you've erected an idol. There's a high place in our life. And that high place can only belong to Christ. And we can't serve God except we tear down and purge these idols from our life and repent and accept the standard. 2 Timothy 2 verses 19 and 20 and we'll leave you with these passages. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. I don't know your needs this morning, but I know that God does. And I know that you do. I know that God wants you to be a vessel of honor. He wants that for all of us. And this vessel of honor is bestowed not upon each other. I, I can't make you a vessel of honor. You certainly can't make me a vessel of honor. And I certainly do harm to my own life if I try to make myself a vessel of honor. I can't do that. I'm just a vessel. And you're just a vessel. And all praise, honor, and glory needs to go to Jesus Christ. He is the King. He is Lord. But God can make you a vessel of honor you'll come to him and give him your broken heart. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?